Good morning, everyone. Great to see you guys today, kicking off a brand new series called People Problems. I'm sure this is not for you, but there are people I've heard who have issues with other people. So uh, if it's not for you today, you can kick it on back. You can pass it on down the aisle. I'm sure somebody will appreciate uh, what we talk about today. Hey, at the end of today's service, we're going to be celebrating in communion as we do the first Sunday of every month. Just giving you a little heads up on that, which will be a, a wonderful time at the end as we reflect and pray and celebrate in communion. All right, let's jump into part one. You know, it's fascinating how quickly kids go from playing to fighting, isn't it? I mean, in a matter of seconds, two kids can be best friends and then turn into bitter enemies. A toy becomes a dangerous projectile. Hands that were building a tower a few minutes earlier suddenly become fists of fury. Lips that were giving gentle kisses that past afternoon quickly peel back, revealing fangs and leaving marks on the arms of another screaming child. Anytime you put kids together in an environment, a classroom, a bedroom, a playroom, a minivan, there is potential for fun and for riots. Why? They are people. Little people, but people nonetheless. And you know, we adults are not really that much better. We might not, you know, bite the man who took the last donut in the break room or scratch the lady who cut in line. We might not fall on the floor, roll around, and throw a tantrum because we were asked to work late, and now we're going to miss our show. But that's typically only because we've learned restraint and we were taught how to be polite. But have you looked at the news recently? There's a lot of biting and scratching and tantrums being thrown. Fortunately, the bite marks and scratches left by children don't last too long because they aren't too deep. The bite marks and scratches left by adults, however, go all the way to the bone. Watch the news. There are tantrums being thrown in Washington, D.C. by representatives and senators and presidents. Have you paid attention to the biting and scratching made by world leaders? I mean, our world is little more than a playroom filled with angry, scared, tired, irritable adults. We've progressed from throwing pencils to throwing grenades, from knocking down toys to knocking down buildings, from pushing in line to destroying entire families, from holding our breath to threatening nuclear war. Watch a room full of children interacting, and you are watching a microcosm of the entire planet. I came across an article recently written by Dr. Mark Leary from Duke University. His article is titled, Most Problems Are People Problems. It's a short read, yet it is packed full of truth. He said, when you think about it, almost every problem in our world today is caused by human beings. On a large scale, wars, threatening human extinction, on a medium scale, family issues, marital problems, in-law issues, parent-child tensions, strain in friendships. On a small scale, me, the problems I cause for myself and for those closest to me. Human behavior is by far the single largest cause of the difficulties each of us experience. He points out the great paradox of we humans. 
We use our intelligence, creativity, and amazing abilities to work together to improve life dramatically. Technological advances in every area, computers, phones, medical breakthroughs, energy efficiency, food production, clean water, eradication of diseases, but on the other hand, we humans act in maladaptive ways, creating a slew of social, relational, and personal problems drug addiction, violence, wasting of money, energy, and resources on a massive scale, greed, hatred, racism. The paradox is stunning, isn't it? Do you know what the problem is? Dr. Leary says it best. He says it's pervasive human tendency to be excessively self-focused. Excessive self-centeredness underlie most of our problems. Crimes, prejudice, discrimination, deceit, people treating other people unfairly. Think about the gridlock, political and social impasses. Just think about that. World leaders from Trump and Biden to Putin and Ukraine to Israel and Hamas to Facebook arguments. You know why we are in such a stalemate and nobody seems to move anywhere? Because every person involved is absolutely certain they are right and the other side's wrong. Everybody. I'm right, you're wrong, I'm not moving. Well, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm not moving. Even our own minds are preoccupied with us, right? Our anger, our stress, our anxiety, our shame. Let's be honest, most problems are people problems. Think about this for a moment. Think about all the pain and suffering and disappointment we experience on this planet. That's mind-numbing if you actually give a few minutes to it. From murder to rape to drug dealing to addictions to school violence to drunk driving to adultery to self-sex trafficking, on and on. Then realize, realize this. Almost all of it, all of it would be stopped if we humans had good character. Think about that. In other words, so much of the pain and suffering experienced around our world and in our city and in our homes would be alleviated immediately if we were simply honest, dependable, faithful, loving, kind, and gentle. Basically, if we did as adults what our teachers and daycare providers told us to do as children, keep your hands to yourself wait your turn, share your toys, speak kindly, ask permission, etc. If we just simply did that, our entire planet would be different. Wow. Do you realize much of the New Testament is written to help solve people problems? The early Christians were fighting They were hurting one another, suing each other, taking advantage of one another. And Paul and Peter and James, etc., had to address these issues. When you read through the New Testament letters, they discuss husbands and wives, parents and children, employees and employers, men and women, all the conflicts and all the people problems going on. They had to write these letters dealing with the people problems. It's shocking when you realize how much hurt and pain erupt and spill out onto other people simply because we are morally deficient. Do you realize if we were people of good character, just just go along with me, if we were people of good character, we wouldn't have to lock our doors when we leave our houses. That simple. 
You realize we wouldn't have to carry guns in case we're attacked or invest billions of dollars for military protection. Our police force would respond only to accidents and get cats out of trees and help with weather emergencies if we were simply good people. We wouldn't have to worry about sending our kids to other people's houses. Marriages would stay together. There would be few blended families, no custody battles, no divorces. Our taxes would be almost non-existent. Gas prices would be under a dollar. There would be no terrorist attacks, no racist attacks. There would be no, no uh, 300 years of slavery in the United States would have never happened. The 600,000 Americans killed in the Civil War would have lived and had families. The 15 million Soldiers alone who died in World War II would have begun families and businesses, etc. The 60,000 Americans killed in Vietnam, the 9-11 attacks would have been erased. Our men and women who died during the war on terror would still be with us. Everything going on now in Israel and Palestine wouldn't be happening. Do you realize how many kids would have been born had all those people lived? Then... Add in all the people who've been murdered, killed by drunk drivers, the opioid crisis, on and on. Think about how many jobs have been lost, money wasted, kids who never grew up, all because of poor character. Wow. The prison systems, the foster care systems, the drug rehab centers, the hospitals, the psychiatric wards, so much of it will be shut down, saving tens of billions, hundreds of billions of dollars funneled to public schools, medical care, tuition for colleges, technological advancements, exploration, all if we had good character. Wow. I don't know about you, but that's just shocking to me. But you know, the more things change, the more they remain the same, right? I want to go to a New Testament letter, James chapter 4. He's dealing with people problems, same issues we have today they had then. Some of them even more complicated then than we have now. James, before we get to this, James is the, is the brother of Jesus. So when you read the letter of James, you're, you're reading someone who knew Jesus well who understood the message of Jesus deeply, who followed Jesus closely. I want you to listen to what James tells us about people problems. He goes to the heart of what we're dealing with. Watch what he says. What is the source of conflict among you? Million dollar question, right? What's the source of conflict? Just get right to it. Let's just, let's just boil it down. What is the problem? What's the conflict? What is the source of your disputes? Don't they come from your cravings? that are at war, where? In your own lives. In your own lives. Watch this. You, you long for something you don't have. You long for something you don't have, so you commit murder. You are jealous for something you can't get, so you struggle and fight. That's it right there, folks. That is the clearest definition of people problems you can get. People problems arise when I don't get what I want. Every single thing that I mentioned at the beginning of this message, all the problems around our world, somebody isn't getting what somebody thinks they ought to have. And since I can't get it, 
I'm going to fight and kill and lie and slander and connive and manipulate and whine and throw tantrums and do whatever I got to do to get what I think I deserve. That's it. Clearest definition of people problems I know. People, want, uh, people problems arise when I don't get what I want. I want love. I want a raise. I'm just kind of going through a list. I want success. I want a car. I want peace. I want respect. I want a husband. I want a wife. I want a promotion. All the way through. I want, I want, I want. Now, I'm not disputing whether what you want is good. It probably is, and you probably deserve it. But I'm saying that people problems occur when we don't get what we want. And when we don't get what we want, we either become angry, bitter, and hateful, or we dry up and become depressed, and we plot to get it somehow, some way. But listen to the wisdom of James. He takes it to a deeper level. He says, you don't have because you don't ask. That seems almost ultra simple, doesn't it? But hear what he's actually saying. James is saying you don't have what you want because you don't go to the source. That's the problem. Instead, you go to your neighbor. You go to your employer. You go to your wife. You go to your husband. And these people seem to be the people who can give you what you want, but James says, not really. No one can give you what you ultimately want. You think you want this when you actually want that, and you go to the wrong person to get that, but that person can't give you that. They can only give you this, and you don't want this. You want that. And we fight. Folks, that that is why you see celebrities. Just think about this. That's why you see celebrities and extremely wealthy people remaining unhappy. They go from one beautiful woman or handsome man to the next. They go from one large purchase to the next. They buy another expensive car, another home on the other side of the nation. They buy another yacht, and then you hear about them fighting alcohol and drugs and addiction and depression, going through divorce, custody issues, the same things we poor peasants go through. Why? Because the money and the fame and the beautiful bodies didn't give them what they ultimately wanted. But we keep trying, don't we? Sure we do. I keep going to my wife to get what I want. I keep going to my neighbor to get what I want. I keep going to my boss to get what I want. I keep going on dates. I keep switching churches. I keep changing jobs. I keep searching new websites, always looking for what I think I want. I keep trying to find what I want. And when I don't get it, I struggle, I fight, I kill. Now listen to what James says next. You ask and don't have because you ask with evil intentions to waste it on your own cravings. James is saying here that the real reason you don't have what you want is not because your wife won't give it to you or your neighbor refuses or your employer is playing favorites or people just don't like you. No, no, no. The reason you don't get what you want, even when you ask God, is exactly what Dr. Leary says. Pervasive human tendency to be excessively self-focused. At the core, what James is saying in this verse right here is you have a list of things you want in life. Money, success, looks, health, youth, respect, honor. You fill in the blank with whatever it is you want. And you think the people around you should give it to you or should at least help you get it. And when they don't, 
you're angry and you fight and you quarrel and you argue and you slander, but in all of it, you refuse to go to God and ask him to help you get what you really want. Then you go to God, but your prayers are filled with self-focused drivel. Little more than give me, give me, give me, because I want, want, want. Even if you have to take it away from others, I want it, I deserve it. Now give it to me, God. Guess what happens? You rarely get what you want from God or from others. Why? Because selfishness is the poison of humanity. It breaks everything down. It is the acid on the heart of love. It is the sand in the engine of peace. So you might get what you think you want by playing the selfish game, but it won't last. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to slow down and properly teach through what James says next. you got to focus on this because verses 4 through 10 are connected to verses 1 through 3 but often they're separated as if it's two different subjects, and it's not. It's all together. Let me show you what I mean. Here's what James continues to say. He says, you unfaithful people, don't you know that friendship with the world means hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. Well, that's some strong stuff, isn't it? You know, I remember as a young man, using this verse, James 4.4, to make people feel guilty about the things I thought were wrong and what I considered to be, quote-unquote, worldly in their lives. If someone watched movies I thought wrong, I would read this verse to them. (laughs) Hey, you know what? You're watching that movie. Well, the Bible says that if you're friends with the world, you're you're an enemy of God. If they listen to music I considered inappropriate, I would read this passage to them. When I was 19 years old, I was part of an outreach team to Mardi Gras in New Orleans. We stopped people on the street and tried to get them to change their ways. If a person said, I'm a Christian, I was trained to use this verse to make them feel really badly for being at Mardi Gras. Oh, you're a Christian, are you? Oh, well, you know the Bible says in James 4.4 that friendship with the world is an enemy of God. So how can a Christian be at Mardi Gras? I was good. I was really good at throwing guilt around. It was a great put-down scripture. You know how I used it, this verse, as a put-down scripture? Because I separated it from the context of what James is talking about, and I used it as a sword to make people feel badly. So you got to hear this. When James says, don't be in friendship with the world, He is not referring to movies, music, and Mardi Gras. This world James is talking about, he just described in verses 1, 2, and 3. The fighting, the conflicts, the pushing, the clawing your way to the top, the killing, the destroying one another to get what you want, that is is the way of the world, and that is an enemy of God. I assure you, a person reflecting verses 1 through 3 is much more detrimental to our world than collecting beads on Bourbon Street in Mardi Gras. But the church gets it all backwards and preaches to the wrong people. Because if you join in 
and try to get what you want by clawing other people and slandering other people and disputing and fighting and quarreling with other people, then you are a friend of the world because that's the way the world does it. And anyone who lives his or her life by those principles, that person is no friend of God. In fact, that person is actually an enemy of who God is. Why? Because God is love. God is light. And in him there is no darkness. So when you live by clawing your way to the top, you are a worldly person. So we got a lot of worldly people sitting in churches and a lot more holy people sitting in bars. But we get it all backwards. Consider what James says next. Do you suppose that Scripture is meaningless? In other words, those of you who say you follow Jesus but fight and argue with one another, you think Scripture is foolish to believe? Is that what, is that what you think? Do, do you think all the things God says about loving people, all, all people has no weight and it doesn't actually matter? Because that's exactly how you're acting you say you believe in love, and you say you believe in gentleness, and you say you believe in kindness, and you say you believe in patience are to be honored, and those things are to be pursued, yet you are not gentle, and you're not loving, and you're not kind, and you're not patient, and when you don't get your way, you kill and slander and hurt. Do you think Scripture is meaningless? Doesn't God long for our faithfulness in the life he has given to us? Isn't it true God wants us to be faithful and to exhibit the ways of Christ in our day-to-day life? Yes, James. But it's so hard. I mean, the way of the world is much easier. You don't work in the office I work in. You're not out there in the world trying to make it, trying to succeed, James. It's easy for you to sit down and write a letter like this. I'm telling you the way of the world it's much easier and it's, it's much more effective. It's a tough world out there. Everybody's tearing everybody else down. I mean, if you don't play hardball, you won't win. You know what James would say? I know. But he gives us more grace. Who does he give more grace to? Those who take the way of God. This is why it says God stands against the proud but favors the humble. See, when you humble yourself before God and you ask God to give you what you really want, God will show you favor. But no, when you humble yourself before God and begin to talk with God about what you want, listen very carefully, this is so important. This is the the part that's kind of hidden within the scriptures. And if you don't get this and see this, you'll miss the real light in the middle of it all. When you humble yourself before God and you begin to talk with God about what you want, your wants will change. One of the ways to know how much a person is allowing God to shape and mold them is by paying attention to what that person wants. Because their wants reveal their character. So James says, therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. Oh, this is so good. Resist the devil, and he will run from you. Folks, do not, when you read this verse, do not think of the devil in this verse as a man with a red cape and horns and a pitchfork. 
No, 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 no. The devil comes to us. Listen, you got to hear this. You got to hear this. The devil comes to us as fighting for what we want. Quarreling over fairness. Arguing over money. Killing over success. That's the way of the world. That's the devil. Let me make it extremely clear and almost offensive. Satan is more present in the bombs we drop on others and in the unfair policies we enforce on people and the silly laws we pass that complicate people's lives and the unfair taxes and government corruption and religious oppression. He's more present in all of that than in all the trick-or-treating haunted houses and scary movies combined. But we would so rather fight that stuff than deal with what's really going on in the system of the world. See, one is a make-believe devil. The other is an actual devil. So how do you resist the devil? By refusing to give into that way of living. I'm not going to live like that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come near to God, and he will come near to me. Well, how do you come near to God, James? This is another passage that is often misapplied. We make it way too simple. This is not, this, this come near to God thing. It is not about singing worship songs and praying in the altar. It might include that, but it is so much bigger than that. This is about humbling yourself before God and saying this, God, I, I, I can't show patience and love and grace in my office around those jerks. I can't do it. They are difficult people. They are hard to get along with people. Every time I try to love them, they don't love me. I, I try my, to serve them, and they don't serve me back. I try to love them, and they don't love me back. I stick my hand out. They stick a knife in my back. I can't do it. It's too hard. Help me. Humble yourself. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. That's humility. That is the man or the woman who God comes near to. So you know what we should do in light of all of that? We should wash our hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's another verse that I've heard misapplied. This whole double-minded thing. It's all in the context of what James is talking about. James is calling Christians to repentance Christians to repentance. He's calling the church to repentance. He's calling us to repentance for living a double-minded life. What's a double-minded life in this context? One day we say, I follow the shepherd Jesus. The next day we say, I follow the success train. That's a double-minded man. One day you say, I'm going to be honest even if it costs me a promotion. The next day, hey, to get what you got to get, you got to tell a little white lie every now and then. That's a double-minded person. They follow the way of God on Sunday. They follow the way of the world on Monday. They're humble during singing. They're difficult during an office meeting. They're gentle and loving when it comes to the things around the church where everybody sees them, and then on Tuesday afternoon, they'll stab you in the back if they have to to get that job. It's a double-minded person. People like this are double-minded, and they need to come clean. That's why he says you've got to repent. You know what he says? 
Cry out in sorrow. Mourn and weep. Let your laughter become mourning. Quit laughing over all that stuff. It's not funny. The things you say around the water cooler about people, not funny. The things you say in the boardroom, not funny. The putting down the other people, stepping on other people to get what you want, letting other people lose so you can win, it's not funny. Let your laughing be turned to mourning and all your quote-unquote joy, let it become sadness because you don't even realize you are far, far from God. You need to humble yourself and come to him and say, I don't have love in my heart for people. I'm not gentle. I'm not compassionate. I'm not merciful. I'm living the way of the world. Help me. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Admit the reason you're fighting and disputing and arguing is because you want what you want and you're not getting it. Realize the problem with this world runs right through you and me. You got to get to the point that you realize we have laws and guns and armies and drug rehab centers and security cameras because you're in the world. You're the problem. I'm the problem. Quit thinking it's them, it's us. Humble yourself, repent then God will lift you up. Now, why in the world did I begin this series with a look on the inside? Some of you thought this series was going to be all about how other people need to change. (laughs) And we'll get to that. We'll cuss other people out together starting next week, okay? Here's why I began. Solving people problems always begins with the person in the mirror always begins with the person in the mirror. Are other people sinning? Yes. Are other people problem? Yes. Are other people selfish? Yes. Are other people wrong? Yes. Are other people... Yes. Do they need to repent? Yes. Of course. All of that's true, but it always starts with the person in the mirror. You cannot go anywhere else until you deal with the person you see every single morning. Changing people begins with changing yourself. Let me show you how subtle this is and how powerful this is. Here's what I've learned. There are two ways to destroy your enemy. Two ways. The first way is the most popular and most easy. Physical altercation. War, battles, guns, knives, fire them, sue them, retaliate. The other way is personal transformation, the way of Jesus. And it's more difficult, and it's slower, and it's far less popular, but so much more effective. Remove them from your enemy list. Love them, serve them, forgive them, Make them your friend, and they are no longer your enemy. Two ways. So here's how I want to end and bring this down today. Two questions, and then we're going to be done for today. In, In light of what James says, where is the tension for you? In all that he has said, where is the tension for you? Is it in your home? 
Is it at work? Is it with your in-laws, your neighbors, your co-workers? Where's the rub for you? Where's the tension for you? Where is it that you might want to repent? Where is it that you might want to come clean? Where is it that you might want to say, God, I can't love her. I don't know how to love him. I'm humbling myself down. I've got a lot of the ways of the world in me in this area. Where's the tension? The second question is, where do I need to follow Jesus more closely? Where? So for you, it might look like, you know, God, I just, the tension for me is at work. There is this person. There is this person. And this person rubs me the wrong way. I don't know how to get along with her. I have tried everything. I don't know how to get along with her. And if she says one, one more time, I'm afraid she's going to limp home, you know. <laughs> Come on, get, up, get real, all right, real. That's where the tension is. So Jesus, I need to follow you much more closely when I'm around her. You're going to have to teach me how to love. You're going to have to teach me how to serve. You're going to have to teach me what it means to turn the other cheek here. You're going to have to teach me what it means because I don't know how to do it. And I'm sorry that I've not been an example. And I'm sorry I've not loved. And I'm sorry that I've been too much like the world. That's humbling yourself down. You see, no matter how frustrated you feel with someone today, no matter how upset you are with your husband or wife, your kids, your coworker, that so-called friend, no matter what is going on between you and your employer or your neighbor or your ex-spouse or your boyfriend, solving people problems always begins with solving the person, the problem with the person in the mirror. Always begins there. Always, always, always. Now, folks, this doesn't mean he or she doesn't need to change the other person. They probably do. We all do. Okay? But you are not responsible for changing them. You're only responsible for you. I know it's tough, but that's where it starts. That's where it starts. And James is so insightful and so wise to just throw it out there and tell us exactly what the problem is. You know why he did it? Because they were dealing with all kinds of conflict in the New Testament church. They were fighting one another, suing one another, having affairs in the church, abandoning one another, not loving and serving one another, hating on one another. They had to deal with it all the time, all the time, all the time. Wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we bring ourselves to you with all of our issues, with all of our problems, with all of our sins. We bring ourselves to you knowing that many, many times we do not reflect your son Jesus. We do not reflect his love, his mercy, his grace. Instead, we are exactly, exactly like James says in those first three verses. We fight and we bicker and we slander and we pull people down and we claw our way to the top and we justify all of it. Well, that's just the way it is. That's just the way you gotta be. Oh God, teach us how to be different than that. Teach us what it means to be part of your kingdom in the middle of this world. Teach us what it means to be a light in this dark world for people 
to be love in the middle of hate, to be a soft spot in the middle of all the hardness around us, to be a beacon of hope when people are in so much despair. Show us what it means to be exactly like you've called us to be. I think there's some wives and there's some husbands, there's some pastors, there's some church leaders, staff members, there's some kids, there's some parents in this room and watching online. We need to repent. We need to come clean. Start that work in us today and help us look that person in the eyes in the mirror and get honest and drag ourselves before you and find a quiet place to kneel and say, change me from the inside out. In the name of Jesus, we repent. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Amen. We are going to celebrate this morning with communion. And what a wonderful time to do this. Because scripture tells us that when you gather together, choose a time that you come together and reflect on what Christ has done for us. Folks, what he did for us is exactly what I've preached today. He humbled himself. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. When we were his enemy in our thinking and our behaviors and our attitudes, he loved us. Even on the cross, what did he say about his enemies? Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He washed the feet of Judas, the one who betrayed him. On and on it goes. That's why we reflect with the juice and the bread to reflect his body and his blood. That's why we come together. It's to recenter ourselves because you know what happens? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we get so far off. I know, I, I get it, I understand it. Working and going to school and working, all the things we gotta do, we get, sometimes we just get far off and we come back. And sometimes when we get into communion and we get into the messages and the worship, it just kind of helps recenter our life. We're not perfect. You're never going to get to a time in your life where you never struggle with what we've talked about today. You never battle those things. We all do. I do. All of us do. But this is a moment over and over again where we reset, reset, reset. Nobody's asking you for perfection. Nobody's expecting you to be perfect. You know what I want? I want you to be honest. You know what I want? I want you to humble yourself. You know what I want? I want you to say, I believe, but help my unbelief. There are some areas of my life that's better, but there are some areas of my life you know, it doesn't seem to be a whole lot better. Humility, honesty, truth. That's what this is. So as they begin to sing, you are free to go to the back and get the bread and the juice, come back to your seat. And then I'll come back out in just about three or four minutes or so and we'll lead us through the time of communion. If you're new to Forest Park and you say, do I have to participate? Absolutely not. You can sit right there. Nobody's gonna judge you. If you don't wanna participate, you don't have to. If you're new to Forest Park, say, can I participate even though I'm new? Absolutely, you are welcome to. So you just go and get the bread and juice, come back to your seat and I'll pray with you in just a moment and we'll partake together.
message like today can really challenge us to look internal and to think about where we are. But Father, may we never forget that we can only accomplish what you've called us and challenged us to do because of what you've done for us. Father, bless this moment. Bless this moment as we remember and reflect and celebrate your body that was given for us. In Jesus' name, please partake together. Take the cup in your hand and let me pray over the cup. Father, this cup represents the blood of your son Jesus given for us. Without his blood, it's life. Without his blood, we could never live this life. In his blood, there is healing and wholeness and 
cleansing and mercy and grace. His blood shed for us, his life given for us. As we partake this, we do so remembering and celebrating and thanking and proclaiming what he has accomplished for us. Bless this moment in the name of your son, Jesus. Partake together, please. And when you're finished, if you will, let's stand. Carla Beth, can we sing that chorus again? We put the words back up there for just a moment, maybe the last part of that. Sing it before we leave today. You pick me up, you turn me around, you place my feet on solid ground. I thank the Master, I thank the Savior, because you heal my heart and you change my name. Forever free, I'm not the same. I thank the Master, I thank the Savior. before you go today. Just a few things. You can go to the uh, announcements there, Preston, for me. Let's see. We'll get to them in just a second. Go to the end of those for me. There we go. If you're new here to Forest Park, hey, we thank you for coming today. And if you are new, we'd love to know that you've been with us. There's a white card in the seat in front of you or behind you somewhere. You can fill that out, but it's easier if you will go to fplive.org slash connect on your phone. It'll take about 20, 30 seconds or so to fill that out. Click send, and then we've got a free gift for you at the Information Center on your way out today. Stop by. We'd love to give you that just to say thank you for being with us. Some gifts inside that are absolutely free for you. We'd love to know that you were here today, okay? A few other things. Uh, student ministry, our November schedule tonight and also the 19th. For those of you 6th through 12th grade, love to have you come out tonight, have a wonderful time, food, all kinds of different things going on. Love to have you here. So parents, wonderful way for your student to connect and make some friends. Night of worship coming up November 18th. That's two weeks, I believe, from to last night. Two weeks from last night, night of worship right here. Just a moment, just a time of worship and thinking and praying and celebration. Love to have you here. Of course, it's free. Starts at 7 p.m. right here in the auditorium two weeks from last night. One last thing. We have our Thanksgiving outreach. That's for families in our area. We have a goal of 20 boxes, which will feed 20 families in our area that are in need of food. Uh, this year for Thanksgiving, we're planning to provide complete dinner boxes, okay? Complete dinner boxes. So you can help us with that. There's some different, I'm going to leave that up there on the screen for you, different things that you can do there to help. We have a box located at the Information Center, also in Kid Venture. When you bring supplies in, you can put them in those boxes, and we'll make sure that the families get them as they prepare those meals, I mean those boxes, to give to the people, okay? Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, there's some more information there. If you're taking a picture, it's all up there for you, okay? Thank you for coming today. Hope you have an incredible day. God bless you. Have an incredible afternoon. See you.